0: Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Hey again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Typically, we talk about OCD and anxiety. We're going to bring in another condition today. We're going to talk about depression um, and how to kind of cope with depression that you experience either because of OCD and anxiety or alongside OCD and anxiety, and they are different. So um, in this episode, we're going to dive into kind of the difficulties of dealing with depression when you already have OCD and anxiety. and how we can navigate that from a recovery perspective. So, I design all of my things with the hope in mind that you guys have therapists who are accessible, who are knowledgeable about OCD and anxiety, who specialize in evidence based treatment for anxiety and OCD, specifically exposure and response prevention. With that said, I know that that's not possible for everybody. And so, I want my Courses, I want my podcast episodes to be breathable. I want them to be palatable and still practical steps and strategies that you can use even if you don't have a therapist. So, while this isn't necessarily therapy because I can't be your therapist here, I do hope that some of these things can help these concepts click for you. I hope that you can take some of these strategies and start to implement them. And, um, yeah, I hope that this is helpful if you are out there and you do struggle with depression and or even if you just struggle with symptoms of depression, like low mood, low motivation. And it's very, very common for people who have OCD and anxiety, as you can imagine. So um, having OCD is one of the most debilitating conditions in the world when it's left untreated. Put another comorbid condition on top of that, like depression, another anxiety-related condition, an eating disorder. Um, those are all very common. Skin picking, hair pulling are also very commonly kind of comorbid conditions is what we call them when someone has OCD and anxiety. Um, And it's actually more common to have comorbid conditions than to just have one. And so if you are out there and you do find yourself feeling like you do meet criteria and you kind of fit within a lot of these different diagnostic umbrellas, it's not just you. It's actually more common to have comorbid conditions than to just have OCD. And that's especially because as you continue to have distress about your symptoms and, you know, it continues to impair your life in a lot of ways, take you away from your values, as we talked about in our last episode, Of course, it makes sense that that is going to contribute to depression or symptoms of depression. So depression is, other than other anxiety-related conditions, depression is one of the most commonly comorbid conditions that we see happening with OCD and anxiety. So it can be, depression can either be a secondary diagnosis, kind of as a result of the OCD, So someone is so debilitated and so impaired by their OCD that they have depression or depressive mood um, and depressive symptoms because of that OCD and the way in which it has detracted them from being able to live their life. Or depression can be something completely separate. It can definitely, they can, uh, you know, affect and influence each other, but it can also just exist separately. Uh, Perhaps that person already had some depression or a history of depression, you know, outside of OCD, but you can imagine also that it can happen kind of as a result of the OCD as well. So it happens sometimes where one can get worse and the other one gets worse, right? So as your OCD gets more severe, the depression gets more severe, but I've also seen it happen the other way. I've also seen it happen where someone's OCD gets better and maybe their depression gets worse, right? And I think there are some reasons why that might happen. I think when we reduce the preoccupation that OCD and anxiety used to have in our heads, if we aren't strategic about kind of replacing all of that internal preoccupation with involvement in valued activities routine activities and enjoyable activities i think what we can be left with as people who have ocd we're just kind of left with all of this unstructured time and maybe we're not processing those emotions of grief over time lost or anything else like that correctly or functionally and so that's why as we'll get into later in this episode why I think it is so critically important, not just to work on reducing the OCD symptoms and the preoccupation internally of all of the intrusive thoughts and worry and panic stuff, but also as we are kind of quieting that noise, we also want to be strategic in bringing in some behavioral activation. And we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what that is. Um, And behavioral activation is great. It's not just for you. If you meet diagnostic criteria for depression, behavioral activation is a concept that would be helpful for anybody, but it is an evidence-based treatment for depression. And that is what I use with my clients who I feel would benefit from that kind of, uh, you know, intervention. So, I actually, you know, I want you guys to think about this. I would actually be really shocked if somebody presented to treatment or, you know, was out there in the world and they had really, really severe OCD and they didn't have some symptoms of depression. And think about that, right? Like, it would be really strange for somebody, that would be a red flag for me if somebody was out there. Or if somebody, you know, in the past, if they've come to me and when we would give them kind of measures at hospitals that I've, I've worked at, we would give them these baseline measures to kind of assess their severity across different difficulties that they had. And it was very common for us to see really severe OCD associated with really severe depression. But it was a red flag almost to me when I saw really off the charts, high level, high severity OCD, but minimal, if not absent depression. And I want you to think about like why that would be a red flag for me as a therapist, right? It was a red flag for me because it's like, how can you possibly be so distressed and so impaired by these symptoms? How can you be so severe that you're spending 8 to 16 hours plus a day with this stuff but you don't have low mood, that you don't have low depression or uh, low energy, that you're not being affected by it. That tells me that you're kind of okay with things being the way that they are, and that's not okay, right? I say that to say that it's almost kind of expected, right? So if you are out there and you are feeling a little bit um, kind of depressed or depressive symptoms that coincide with OCD, it actually is kind of a red flag if it wouldn't be that way, um, and that's not to say that if you don't feel depressed, then that's a red flag. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it would be a red flag to me and something that I would want to probe and question a little bit more um, and just kind of be on the lookout for if somebody had, say, a 40 out of 40 on the Y-Box, which is the most severe that you could possibly get and score on the Yale Brown obsessive compulsive scale, 40 out of 40, and then a zero on like any depression scale. That would be something that would just stick out to me as a bit strange and not that we would expect that. So Some examples of symptoms of depression, right? So you could have depressive symptoms and quote unquote depression without actually meeting diagnostic criteria for say major depressive disorder. Um, that's kind of what the diagnostic name for is, uh, major depressive disorder. So when you, uh, have major depressive disorder, You know that's the diagnostic criteria, that's the name for it. You have to go through and actually get that with a professional. Um, But we can say, right, that everyone probably has these symptoms from time to time. Um, Of course, it becomes problematic and it becomes something that is dysfunctional once we get into that distress and impairment zone. So once we start to experience a lot of distress because of our symptoms, once we start to experience a lot of impairment in our lives because of these symptoms, then it becomes something that is potentially more along the lines of a mental health concern versus just the waxing and waning of everyday human existence, right? So you can still have symptoms of depression without necessarily meeting diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder. So some of those symptoms would be uh, low energy, low motivation, um, hopelessness, sadness. Uh, You really have to kind of know yourself because sometimes you can eat less, sometimes you can um, eat more. Sometimes you can sleep less. Sometimes you can sleep more. And so, you know, it's hard because OCD can Im- impact uh, depression so much, and vice versa. And uh, it it just depression can really, really do a doozy on your OCD recovery, right? So when you have low energy and low motivation, you're probably not going to want to do these exposures that are already scary and feel challenging to begin with. You might feel As a result of some of your depression or depressive symptoms, you might feel hopeless. You might feel sadness that's really difficult to kind of shake. Um, And as much as you desperately don't want to feel that way, and as desperately as you don't want to do all these things that contribute to your depressive symptoms, it feels so hard to get out of that. And so it's really important, as I alluded to earlier, to be doing behavioral activation. So behavioral activation, again, is an evidence-based treatment for depression. That's what I go to. It's really what I go to when I'm just feeling down myself. It's what I'm, I go to, you know, if someone I love is not feeling great. It's what I go to when I'm working one-on-one with somebody and they are reporting that they're struggling with a low mood or they also have depression, right? So behavioral activation, you also might hear us talk about it as just B.A., It is essentially doing more things that make you feel like you. And I'm going to say it again because it's so important and we don't do this often enough. We don't do things that make us feel like us. So BA, again, is doing more things that make you feel like you. And so the whole cycle. And there's tons and tons of information available on the internet about it. You can easily look up the visual cycles and how it happens, right? It starts out with you feeling low, down, you know, you have this negative kind of life circumstance that you couldn't have helped. You have this uh, kind of automatic reaction to it, these automatic emotions that you can't necessarily help. Say that it's a breakup and you automatically feel lonely, you automatically feel you know, sad about that. You can't help the breakup and you can't help the fact that you feel these emotions about it. But what we tend to do after that with or without OCD being part of the picture, what we tend to do with those emotions is we tend to isolate. We tend to not pick up the phone when our friends are checking in on us. We tend to not want to go to work. We tend to want to isolate and just be by ourselves. And while just like OCD and anxiety, right? Just like those behaviors feel temporarily like they're helpful, like I just don't have the energy. I could not possibly go out with my friends tonight. I do not have the energy. I don't want to feel sad at work. So I'm just going to stay home, right? We isolate and we avoid. And what we don't realize is that the impacts of that. Are gonna be even worse, right? Like that the that having made those isolative or avoidant types of decisions, even though that's what we feel like needs to happen in the moment, it actually just sets us up to have more negative consequences, right? So now I'm absent from work, and so the next time I go to work, I'm gonna be even more, you know, down because I uh, have been gone for a day and I feel so behind and I feel so overwhelmed. So now I'm not just you know, lonely and sad because of my breakup. Now I'm lonely and sad because of my breakup and I'm overwhelmed because I'm at, you know, I'm at work and I'm a day behind. Um, And it just kind of spirals from there. Maybe your friends stop calling you because you haven't been picking up the phone. And then you feel even more lonely because your friends haven't been checking up on you. And so it just spirals. And it really, really starts with, Doing more things that make you feel like you, yes, even if and especially when you don't want to. And I love it because there is this really awesome conceptual overlap with exposure and response prevention, right? So, this concept of doing the difficult things, knowing that you have to make hard decisions now in the moment so that you benefit yourself later on, doing the difficult thing now to help yourself later, making decisions for your future self, not necessarily the self that you are right here, right now. Um, so when we're working with somebody who needs BA, we will ask them, and I want you guys to ask yourself, we will have them kind of write down all of the things that they used to do or have stopped doing as a result of their depression, but also I always say because of your OCD and your anxiety too. So I always ask them to write down things that they have reduced or stopped doing because of their depression and or OCD. And those activities really fall into three categories. So the first category is routine activities. The second uh, set of of categories here is valued activities. And then we have enjoyable activities. So routine activities, valued activities, and enjoyable activities. Routine activities are going to be those things that you don't love to do, but you kind of have to do in order to be a functioning human, right? Like brushing your teeth, making your bed, paying bills, stuff like that. Then we have valued activities, which we just did a really awesome podcast on values and their implications of on OCD and their pre, its presentation and how you can uh, leverage values in your treatment and feeling better. But valued activities, right? Really identifying what have you reduced or stopped doing as far as valued activities go. So if you really value... Uh, you know, altruism and you really value helping, but you, you know, weren't able to go and volunteer every Christmas like you've been wanting to because your anxiety has been so bad, you can see how that would kind of affect things, right? Like you're not going to be able to be your best self when OCD or anxiety or depression is taking you away from these valued activities, And then finally, we have enjoyable activities, which is just what they seem and what they sound like, right? So these things that you've reduced or stopped doing that you used to enjoy. Um, So maybe going for walks, um, you know, doing your hair and makeup, anything like that. Just enjoyable activities. Reading would be a good one. Listening to music, driving. Driving. And so just write down all those things, really give it some time and effort and concerted, you know, thoughtfulness. And then what we would do, similar to how we would do in ERP, is we would make a hierarchy for that. So hierarchy just means that we start really, really small. We start with challenging but manageable goals, and then we kind of move up from there. And so from a depression standpoint, it's going to feel probably really, really, really hard for somebody to go and run a mile, right? Like when they're feeling at their most depressed. Um, But maybe, you know, it's a more manageable, uh, still challenging, but it's more manageable for them to get up and uh, do a home workout for 10 minutes, right? So maybe that's a little bit more manageable. And so um, you're going to not want to do it just the same way that when you do exposures for OCD and anxiety, you're going to feel scared. You're going to feel anxiety. But the point is to try to break that cycle of avoidance and isolation and withdraw so that you can start to feel a little bit better. And it's not always going to be that you do this thing, you do this behavioral activation activity and you feel better. Sometimes the goal is just to not feel worse, right? So It's really important. These are not, this is not like a coping skill. This is not, oh my gosh, I don't want to feel crappy. So I'm going to go and work out for 10 minutes. I feel really crappy. So I'm going to go and chase it away by blah 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 blah. It's like, no, I'm my job is to at least just maintain how I feel and not make it worse with continued isolation and avoidance. And so I really, really love, you know, identifying those small and challenging manageable goals for people. You can identify how effortful you'd think all these activities would be. Try to find things that would be more manageable for you to start and then going up from there. I love incorporating this work with ERP. Like I said, I think the conceptual overlap is huge. Um, Behavioral activation plus ERP, especially when you zoom out and just think of the big picture, more abstract concepts, I think they're totally invaluable to people. Um, And once you're no longer afraid of these um, kind of routine activities or valued activities, let's say that someone... A really good example would be like if somebody really loved cooking, right? If somebody, if one of their values was cooking and, and that was one of their hobbies, right? And they really, really loved cooking, but because of contamination or whatever, they weren't able to be in the kitchen. It was just too much for them. I would absolutely love, this is my favorite type of exposure to do. I would love to get that person doing exposures with cooking so that we could reduce the anxiety that they feel around all those things, really feel more self-empowerment and self-efficacy and get back into cooking as an enjoyable activity, as a valued activity. I love nothing more than kind of brushing off the anxiety that comes from these otherwise enjoyable activities. So that once we kind of brush the anxiety off, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that I get to be able to do this again. So between these two interventions, I think that you would be in a really good spot, um, especially just trying to implement, you know, small little things here and there. And just think about it conceptually, right? Like it is good to do hard things. When your anxiety is telling you to do one thing, It's generally good to be making decisions based in your values and not in your fear. It's generally good, you know, to do things that make you feel like you. I guarantee you if you start to do things that make you feel like you and you're really truly giving it a concerted effort across the board, you know, you're probably going to be in a better spot than you would have been had you not done those things, right? So the things for me that make me feel like me, I love teaching. I love doing podcasts. Um, I love calligraphy, actually. I love calligraphy. I love to read. And I notice that when I am just like stuck talking um, and uh, seeing clients back to back, as much as I love that work, I love teaching. I love podcasting. I love kind of that's my jam. I love doing that type of stuff. Um, And I know when I have not been working out, when I have not been doing calligraphy, when I have not been journaling, if I have not been doing those things, I'm not feeling my best self. And that is a fact. So um, always good to be making sure that you are doing things that make you feel like you. And if you can incorporate some ERP with that behavioral activation, I think it's a win-win all the way around. So something really cool today. Uh, you're not listening to this episode quite yet, but we launched it today on Monday, April 24th. Um, it's still going to be available for signups until May 19th is when it's happening, but I am doing a workshop uh, with my good friend, Drew Linsalata. You probably recognize him as the anxious truth. If you need a little bit more of a pep talk, kind of think of it like the Rocky theme song, like how that you know pumps people up to, to feel like they can take on the world we created something for you guys that is going to be a live event on May 19th, 2023. But don't worry, even if you can't make it live, maybe you're listening to this afterwards, you can still head to my website and purchase it afterwards. It's going to be absolutely incredible. It's called Get Empowered Approaching Anxiety Courageously. And it's just going to be, again, like, that Rocky moment where before a workout or before something really scary, you know, you put in the Rocky, uh, music on your headphones and you just get pumped up and you feel like you can do anything. That's what we're going to be doing for you guys. And, um, we have some cool bonuses if you sign up before May 12th. So head to my website, head to my, um, uh, Instagram, we can help you out and we'll guide you. Let me know if you have any questions, but we have other master classes available too. So if you want to learn more about the OCD and anxiety cycle, if you want to learn more about exposure and response prevention, we have a ton of other awesome things on our website. So go to www.JennaOverbaughLPC.com. I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so you can just have easy access to that. I want to make sure that you guys too are also on my newsletter for encouragement and education on these topics. I've been told not to brag or anything, but that my newsletter is one of the best OCD and anxiety newsletters out there. Um, I've been told that they are quote unquote fire, which is the best compliment, honestly. Um, So between all of that, we have tons of other podcast episodes that you can listen to. We'll link you a ton of things in the show notes, but definitely check out my website, Check out that Get Empowered workshop with Drew. It is going to be electric. It's going to be so good. Um, And check out the newsletter when you get a chance, too. Uh, You'll get an instant, downloadable, free PDF. Um, It's called Imagine Your Recovered Life, and it would fit in perfectly with everything that we discussed today. So my hope for all of you after all is said and done is that you identify some activities that you could do that are small and challenging but manageable and that you make time today to do something that makes you feel like you. So whatever it is, reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at jenna.overbaugh. I would love to hear your reactions to this podcast. I would love to hear what it is that you're doing and making time for that makes you feel like you. Um, I'm going to go make some time for myself to do that that too. So we're in it together. Um, So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will see you next time. And until then, keep doing all the hard things. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennahoverbaulpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jennah.overbaulpc.com If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.